This is Read, Watch, Play. I'm Cleo. I'm Justin. I'm James. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about one short story and one novel. The short story being The Gernsback Continuum by William Gibson, and the novel being Radiance by Catherine Valente. So um, our kind of theme for this series of episodes is Raygun Gothic, which basically to sum it up is that art deco sci-fi style um, that people often describe as kind of the future that never was. So if you think like the Jetsons, kind of that aesthetic. Right. Just like the way that the future was imagined in the 50s. Yeah. I think also in like the 30s even. I think it started kind of in the 30s and then went on into the 50s. And mm-hmm. so uh, after Radiance and the Gurns Back Continuum, we'll be talking about Zathura later and then also Fallout 4. Yeah. I, I, I think it'll be... A lot of fun to get into these because we we talked about it a little bit but this is we've only been theming our episodes for a little while but this is i think the first time that we've done something that's almost more of an aesthetic than a theme or yeah. a, an aesthetic as the theme as like the thing that ties them all together as opposed to like a way of storytelling or a s- sort of story to be told i think it's going to be a really neat way to look at the ways that that ties things yeah and it's interesting because well what we have with gurns back continuum it's a very short story that you can find in the Burning Chrome uh, short story collection, which is pretty short overall. It's like a 12-page story, and it's just about basically this photographer. Yeah, he's a photo photojournalist, a photographer who is taking pictures of architecture that kind of has this ray gun gothic look. And uh, he starts seeing actual things from this kind of alternate reality where the where this future has come into existence this kind of alternative 80s where there are things like zeppelins in the sky and you know that the kind of metropolis looking city yeah even particularly like this like boomerang shaped like crazy ship right with yeah. like yeah uh, that's the one that like sticks in my mind yeah like basically things that are totally that would be totally impossible because they defy physics right for one thing um and then he even sees things like people from this universe and he overhears a conversation. It's it's a very short story, just kind of trying to get the point across that this man has become kind of um, obsessed a little bit with the idea of this alternate future because he's doing a work project for it. And he doesn't know what to make of it. Like, because he has a best friend or a friend in the story who is also, he's like a tabloid journalist type guy. He does stuff like stories on UFOs yeah. and cattle mutilations. He's like and, basically like works for the National Enquirer yeah. like kind of guy. Yeah. And so what he tells them is, you know, of course you're, you know, you're seeing things. Everyone, people see things like people see UFOs and they really believe they saw them. And really there's like a psychological thing going on where for some reason you believe you need to see this thing. And so for you, it becomes true in that instant. Right. And what you I need s- to do is just consume a lot of trash media to wash it out of your system. I also like how in the, like the very, the very beginning when they're first talking about it, he's like, dude, like how many drugs were you on? Maybe. Yeah. And his response is generally like, well, you know, no more than usual. Yeah. It's like, who isn't on drugs right now? Yeah. It's a Gibson story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, uh, going back to one of the things you mentioned kind of casually at the end there cleo i i think that that was one of my favorite parts of the story that idea that the cure for this is consuming like it the junk food equivalent of media so you're just going it's like oh yeah just go and watch like a bunch of like trash tv like game shows are great for it and that there's not only that the cure for this is watching kind of junky media but that there is like a known cure at all like oh yeah all that what you really need is like five days of just daytime television yeah like you think you've been abducted by aliens just like binge watch some like trash television just just watch soap operas you'll be fine but i thought i thought it was interesting because it's not like this character who i think goes nameless i think the protagonist doesn't ever get a name it's not like he became totally fascinated and obsessed with this idea on his own it was because of a work thing it wasn't um, like not to mention a book we hated that we reviewed earlier, but Armada, where this guy is, you know, by choice consuming a lot of eighties sci-fi stuff. Right. Um, it's a work thing for him. And I don't know. I kept, it made me think of instances where I have actually consumed 
a lot of media of one genre or, you know, one franchise all at once on purpose, not for work, just for my own pleasure and have kind of altered my view of my current reality because of just this high level consumption. So for instance, um, when I was after playing portal two, every time I would see just like out in the real world, I'd see a white space on a wall or a building or anywhere. I think, Oh, I can shoot a portal there. Like that would just be the first thought I had. And it, it took a long time for me to condition myself out of that. I mean, why even condition yourself out of it? Yeah, exactly. Because I'm just, then I'm just, just sad I don't have a portal gun on me. Always think with portals. Yeah. But have either of you had that kind of experience ever? I actually definitely had it with portal. Um, but uh, I don't think I could name another experience. that I, like, I, I definitely know it's happened. But like, I know when I binged Doctor Who, I would definitely start to hear the the like TARDIS noise. <sighs> like I would, I would 100% hallucinate that. I'm trying to think. I had it. This is this is a little bit more terrifying, but I had it with Left for Dead. Um, like I played a lot of Left for Dead all at once, and then it was nighttime. I had to walk my dog, and I was so scared being outside in the dark with my dog unarmed because I was just like, the zombies are gonna come and get me, and I don't have anything to beat them off with. Like I don't have anything. And I felt the need to like bring out a baseball bat with me because just to, for my own comfort. I know that makes me sound like a psychopath a little bit, but. Mostly, I feel like phenomena like this just tend to horrify you. Yeah. Like, it's just scary things that end up doing these kinds of things to you. Yeah, you never get the, I don't know, like, after watching, like, a lot of, like, the Lego movie. <laughs> you know, then, it, I mean, but that would just manifest in a horrifying way, right? Your Legos start walking and talking. I guess that's true. That would end up being scary. <laughs> it all just ends up, yeah, I don't... I'm trying to think, but there are other things I've definitely binge watched where I haven't had that reaction to it. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it is that contributes to it kind of bleeding into your actual reality. Right. But um, one thing I really liked about this story that I feel kind of gets glossed over in a lot of other stories about alternative universes bleeding in or like idealizing some kind of past that never was or a future that never was in this case is that he the, the the protagonist brings up the fact that this kind of idealized future looks a lot like the future depicted by like hitler youth propaganda mm-hmm. mm. and that there's a lot of kind of social and political and ethical stuff that people just totally forget about when they're talking about oh you know wouldn't it be great if we could time travel back to the 50s and just because people are thinking usually when they say things like that of like they're thinking about the shallower aspects or they're thinking of like pop culture or Mm -hmm. just the kind of idea of a decade that's really only such a small portion of what that decade really had going on yeah because i feel like it's really easy for like a like a white person to say oh wouldn't it be great to go into the 50s where everything was simple and people dressed cute i don't know and we could just get like a milkshake at the diner sure yeah. um but like realistically 50s were kind of shit for most <laughs> for a, people for, for, yeah for like a lot of reasons that are more important than like it's cute to be in a diner mm-hmm. um but that made me i don't know i like that this story brought that up the idea of like well your ideal other future is actually kind of probably shit and horrifying yeah i mean there's a there's a line at the at the very end uh that kind of fished out here where the protagonist is he's he's in a diner if i remember it um and he goes and he he's talking to someone and someone says it's a hell of a world we live in hot and he said you know but it could be worse and the protagonist's response is that's right i said or even worse it could be perfect and it seems like that's that feels like a lot of the big thing right where he has that like glimpse of that supposedly perfect world and it just is the most horrifying thing he's ever seen Mm -hmm. but I feel like one of the, I mean, we, we should probably go back and mention that the, the reason why we, we pulled out this story is not only because it deals with the, the aesthetic that we're talking about, but that it's specifically where the name Ray Gun Gothic comes from. Yeah. Um, in a, a line at the beginning where I think that, you know, someone else refers to the same style and it was like American, uh, yeah, American streamlined modern. And then another character has kind of the more casual Ray Gun Gothic name that ends up being what, what sticks long term. But yeah, it's neat. It, I think that I would say the the same thing really stuck with me that stuck with you, Justin, where the like the big plane, like the boomerang shaped 
plane that has like ballrooms and dining rooms and chandeliers and jazz yeah. music and you know can make the trip across the Atlantic in only like three days mm-hmm. you know and all all of these things and that kind of I always think it's kind of cool to go back and think about that you know that we could imagine a plane so big that it could have a ballroom and dining rooms and chandeliers at no point though did we think that you could get across the Atlantic in you know that in say a matter of hours right right yeah. that like no matter how big people were dreaming at this point even then dreaming big was only three days to get across the ocean dreaming big was literally dreaming big yeah right yeah bigger cities bigger like because he puts emphasis on like he sees the skyline of god what city it's a real city but it's he sees it differently i think it's on the west coast but i can't remember yeah so he, he looks back and he sees the city and it's just like the towers are huge, like the size skyscrapers are, they could fit like multiple Empire State buildings, basically. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, that's just the idea of this kind of grandiose Flash Gordon esque right. future. Yeah. Yeah. I remember he, he talks about it as being like a, a combination of like the city from Metropolis and something else. And I can't yeah. remember the something else, but With flying cars and everything like that. Yeah. But yeah, we we'll also... just want that part of the future to be the quote future to be real. The flying cars. Just want flying cars everywhere. But yeah, this is also something that we'll come back to um, during the episode in which we kind of discuss Raygun Gothic overall at the end of this series. Um, but the other book that we read for this um, series is Catherine Valente's Radiance. Uh, and I was kind of super nervous recommending this to everyone because she has a very distinct style. I wasn't, this is definitely the least straightforward book we've read so far yes i really like her um i read deathless by her a while ago which um is basically kind of about it's kind of a take on some traditional russian folklore which is is very good i recommend it as well but this was described i think on goodreads as like art deco punk which definitely fits into the raygun gothic kind of thing and it got really, really good reviews, um, and the, the narration is really, really good. Uh, the narrator is Heath Miller, and yes, doesn't seem to have done that much else other than he's done like one other book by her. I think he's an actor, yeah. but yeah, the narrator specifically for the for the audiobook, yeah, um, not like the the narrator character. In, yeah, yeah, like the, uh, the yeah the narrator yeah. for the audiobook, and it's it's weird though because this is. I do recommend listening to the audiobook just because he's really good with the you know the voices and he really gets the I feel like the mood across um and you know she's a very specific way of writing that I think he gets across very well but you also kind of want to have the physical book or an ebook of it because it's just so much of the formatting is very specific and not everything is going to come across through just listening to it yeah I think this is a book that would like so benefit from a like a crazy all out audiobook production. Yeah. Where you had a full cast and you had people doing their very specific things and they they added a lot of cuz I mean I didn't listen to the audiobook but the idea of like the chapters that are radio plays or like commercials having like backing music and jingles or like static fade in static fade out kind of stuff right yeah. like adding these special effects and having a full cast like that is the the way this book should be experienced which you experience it that way in your head when you read it yeah like, it it really i i think that you're absolutely right and for like a lot of reasons that make a lot of sense when you look at just what the book is several of the chapters are just kind of descriptions of movie scenes others are uh just transcripts of interviews and things like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're absolutely right that it, it feels very much like it's put together like that kind of a production. And uh, I don't think I'd go so far as to say I'd want to see it as a movie. Like it, it could be cool as a movie. And that's definitely something to, to talk about later when we can get into all the little bits and pieces to it and talk about what specific scenes might look like. But I think that you're absolutely right. It, imagining it as like a very fleshed out audio experience of people reading these things to you and just talking back and forth. I, I think could be a really cool way to do it. And actually I, I think kind of as Cleo was starting to say that the, the guy who does the narration to the audiobook version for being one guy does like a really good job of approximating that experience. Yeah. I mean, and just to give you a gist of what the book is about, 
although it's, it's, it can be kind of hard to explain. It's basically the main character, arguably, is Severin Unk. Well, it's all about Severin Unk. And yeah. she she's a daughter of a famous um, movie director who does gothic films. And this is an alternative world spanning from like the 20s through the 60s, I want to say. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. I think the, the actual like things, ha- like the latest the book happens is in like the 80s. Oh, really? Does it go that far? According to, like, one of the, like, summaries or something that I saw. The chronology at the beginning seems to go through uh, 62. But I think that some of the things might be, yeah, might, could certainly potentially be after that. You've got a lot of things that bounce back and forth. Yeah, it could have arguably just been an incorrect summary, too. Like, I couldn't keep the, there were so many, there was so much date changing. It really jumps around I don't know if the ebook version had... Uh, an actual chronology to look at yeah which is another reason why it's nice to have the physical copy because it is nice to double check things but yeah severin is you know unlike her father she prefers documentaries and she goes to become a well-known documentary filmmaker and this takes place in a world where edison basically made it impossible for people to shoot films with sound Mm -hmm. or in color, I think is the other thing, right? Like it's rare to see a movie that's with sound or color. Yeah. Yeah, They they would be colored by hand, like movies were back in the, you know, thirties and forties. Yeah. And isn't like the idea, like the, the family like maintains the patents and makes that like prohibitively expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Like the person who runs it now is like, like Fred. Yeah. 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 And like, so they make it like prohibitively expensive and, I, I like that, like, the reason for this, where they've got, like, it, I, I like that a lot as a reason for why everyone's making these, like, silent black and white films, and, like, why it is so weird that Severin really likes to do films with sound for her, her documentaries, she feels, so that's important, and I, I imagine it must have been really hard to sit down and come up with a reason why you have space travel, but not uh, talkies. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and to come down and say, it's like, oh, well... Like, so what would that be? And just say, oh, no, it's because Freddie Edison charges an arm and a leg. So all the filmmakers are just like, well, all right, so we won't do that. You know, and that there you had like the kind of the indie filmmakers who were going and they just couldn't afford it. So they made silent black and white movies. And then to seem really cool, everyone else did that, too. Right. And it hit the point where and even later, like Edison shows up every so often in some of the stories that people tell. And he comes off as just kind of pissed off that no one's paying the exorbitant fees for these things. And you're just kind of upset that black and white silent films came back in vogue. But <laughs> Strictly because of what he was doing. Like, yeah, because he was being up. a shit about the whole thing. Yeah. But I, I, not to pull us off on too much of a tangent, I just want to say I, I liked that a lot going into it. Um, well, I, I liked it a lot because going into it, the very little that I knew did involve having to hold those two things in your head. That you've got, a, like space travel that begins in like the early nineteen, like like the in like nineteen oh five, nineteen oh six is when they first like yeah start going to live on other planets. Yeah, and that you've got this culture of shooting black and white silent films on the moon. Yeah, and it's like, well, why is that? Like we moved away from those so fast. So you've got like you have the Jackson singer and singing in the rain. All these things like come out and just suddenly everything's in Technicolor, mm-hmm. you know, and that it's so weird for us to get a film like The Artist where someone did go back and make that kind of movie um, and why you would have those two things together. And I think that that it's one of those nice little like twists that I like a lot, not a twist, but like a the little like touch. Yeah. A nice little touch to it. It's like, Oh yeah, this is why. And, and you believe it. I like that a lot. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's, it's also it's, everything about this book. is just like super kind of different. And I don't, it's, God, I don't even know how to describe it because it's so... It's almost as if... It's like the book equivalent of a found footage movie, oh, kind absolutely. of. It's, it's like that, a bunch yeah. of documents out of an archive, basically. Um, so, like, yeah, like scripts, interviews, descriptions of film clips. Yeah. Um, episodes of... The show is called How Many Miles to Babylon. It's like an old-timey radio show, basically. Yeah. Um, Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, if it even is evening where you are now. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the best parts, I think, in the, the audiobook narration. Just yeah. all of the how many miles to Babylon part. Yeah. Because he'll do, like, this great... He goes, how many miles to Babylon? <laughs> yeah, he really <laughs> gives all out. It's it's cool. Nice. Yeah, yeah. he does a really good job. I might um, have to listen to this audiobook. Yeah, it's really it, good. It's worth at least going through and, like, looking for some of those chapters and mm-hmm. just, like... Because I think it gets very much at what you were saying, Justin. Where you're like, oh, like, in your head, you hear it this way. 
And it's really cool that, I don't know, it would have been so easy to get someone who would just kind of read it with like a little bit of a touch and almost kind of like a tongue in cheek, just like, oh, you know, how silly this is. Right. But instead to get someone who like totally commits to doing like, oh yeah, this part is a, a radio play done. I'm going to introduce it, you know, and like the way he does all of the, uh, the advertisements at the beginning, Yeah. you know, and it, it, it really sells it. It's cool. It's weird. I feel like we're talking a lot about just like the audiobook specifically. <laughs> well, I mean, two of the three of us did listen to the audiobook, but also, I, like, I, I like again, I do think the ideal version of this probably is the audiobook. And on on top of it, like my dream ideal version of it is like an audio play, basically, right? I would love to see somebody that like somebody develop a screenplay of this and hand it to like Terry Gilliam. Oh yeah, like I think he might be one of the only people that could that could turn this into a movie that would do the book justice oh yeah. yeah but yeah it's it's kind of hard to since things aren't always presented in chronological like things are, it jumps around a little bit um a it's lot, hard a, yeah, lot, a lot a lot, it's, a lot. It, it's only jumping around <laughs> yeah it's hard to like there's to talk about like where the spoilers we get or not but basically i mean this is not a spoiler but the story the whole thing revolves around the fact that severin unk went to film a documentary on venus about a town that just disappeared. Like everyone disappeared. Yeah. It was just like raised. Yeah. Like there were some ruins left, but a lot of the buildings are totally gone and all the people are gone. Yeah. Yeah. And somewhere and something happens and she goes missing. So yeah. like right at the beginning, it's like, there's like some tabloid magazine stuff. That's like, Oh my God, we're all so distraught that Severin's yeah. gone. The, like and, death like, of obituaries. Yeah. 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 And, um, and then the rest, it's all like a lot of it is interviews with, you know, her boyfriend or her crew talking about you know and some of it it's funny because some of it is reality like some of it's like interviews with people about the things that actually happen a lot of it is film scripts or like the like basically description of a film made by her father about it but it's fictionalized right i also well we'll talk about that one more in the spoiler because that's one of my favorite parts of the book i completely agree um I also, they also do like, like there's like stuff that her father filmed of her as a child because he was filming constantly Everything, yeah. and there, there are bits and pieces of her earlier documentaries, bits and pieces of his movies. Uh, it's just, it's so, I don't know. I, 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 I mean, I did love it. Like I really did. And I, I think it just benefits so much from jumping around the way that it does. And from like telling this central story in this world, but instead of like establishing the world, you know, through expositional dialogue and like, like events that happen to demonstrate parts of the world as like a normal, like novel or that kind of thing, like just straight up uses like, here's a bit of a, of a radio play that everybody listens to. Like, here's a piece of this movie that was popular. Here's a commercial for this brand of milk. Like here's a commercial for this thing. And, and just like to set up the world that way, it's so interesting and, and it really does it in like such a better way than I feel like a lot of like, like traditional stories do. Yeah. I I feel like we've been teetering on the edge of spoilers here. Yeah. It's very hard to talk about this book without talking about spoilers. Yeah. So, but by and large, everyone was positive. I would say I was extremely positive. Yeah. 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 I would, it, the one thing I, again, I will avoid actually spoiling things, but this is by and large a book about looking for resolution in a situation where you might not necessarily get a lot so if you're someone who really needs a nice bow on things at the end lots of things you do get resolution to but not not everything and if you're someone who's really bothered by that i think this is going to be a a bit of a rough one that it's that's the only kind of thing that i like to give warnings for over anything else but it's it's so often the kind of thing where if if that's what you're looking for you're just not going to enjoy some things. And I, at the point where I almost feel really bad recommending that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but. there's even a whole, I think like, the, like, you know, she makes it, the Catherine Valente makes it clear that this is a book that's about telling stories yeah. without necessarily knowing what the exact truth is yeah. of what happened. Yeah. A lot of the book with the stuff that you were talking about earlier, Justin, where you see these parts of, um, Percival's films as he's making them it that film goes through like five rewrites over the course of the book so even then you don't really even get resolution to a lot of the stories that get started because you'll get to read like a part of the movie that got made and then that movie got scrapped 
before it gets to an ending. So I, that's a lot of the stuff that I'm thinking of where it's this, like I said, this is very much a book about looking for resolution and trying to find that. And so if, if you're someone who's really bothered by that, I would, I would say that would be the only instance where I would say, maybe don't read this. Otherwise this is a really cool work of fiction. All right. So with that said, we can dive, dive right into spoilers now. Yeah. So our, our next theme, right? Oh yeah, well, I guess. So for our next series of episodes, after we are done with Raygun Gothic, we're going to be exploring the theme of time travel within one's own life. So the book we'll be reading is Replay by Ken Grimwood, uh, which I don't it came very highly recommended by several people. So looking forward to that. Don't exactly know what it's about, except for time travel within one's own life. Yeah, I mean, I could summarize it a little bit. It's um, basically this guy... Uh... He lives a, a normal life. It's not all that great. Uh, and then dies at the age of 43 and proceeds to wake up again in his like 20, early 20s or something body, having all of the memories of the life he had just lived. And he like it, it, he lives his life again from that point and then dies the same way he died originally at 43 and then does it again. And it happens over and over. And the book is about that. Hmm. So that uh, that is... I'm very, very into that story. Um, the game that we're going to be playing is uh, Life is Strange, which is about a high school age girl who learns that she has like a very limited sort of like time travel ability, basically, where she can like so she can rewind time, uh, and so she can like see something hap- see something happen, and then rewind time and and try to prevent it or change the outcome or. Or something along those lines, and the story gets a lot grander, and it's it's but it has that sci-fi bent to it, but it's also very much a coming-of-age story for this, you know, this high school-age girl. And then the uh, the film that we're going to be watching is Looper, to kind of continue the the kind of very personal time travel story. Uh, Looper is one of my favorite time travel movies to come out kind of recently. There were there were a few other ones. There was one that came out even just a couple of years after it that I liked a lot as well. But um, the premise of Looper is as as the main character describes at the beginning, it's set at a time when time travel hasn't been invented yet, but like 30 years later, it will have been. And it is made wildly illegal and is used primarily by the mafia to send either, you know, targets or some of their, you know, previous assassins back in time so that the the person gets killed and the body just vanishes without a trace because it just you know, disappears to... 30 years beforehand so the basic premise is you follow someone whose job it is to wait at an assigned point with a shotgun and just shoot whoever appears in front of him and at the end of each of these contracts the last person that this person will kill is always the future version of themselves so eventually this character's future self shows up and something goes wrong starring joseph gordon levitt yeah, and, and Bruce Willis. Yeah, they do a, a quick aside. They do a really good job of like making it seem feasible that Bruce Willis and Joseph Gordon-Levitt are the same person. Yeah, they they do a really good makeup job on JGO. <laughs> yeah, they I think they do like a good job like for both of them, like bringing each of them kind of halfway towards the other. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's that's a cool movie. I I like that one a lot. <laughs> yeah, Looper is very good. So that is our theme for the next series. Uh, if you're dropping off now to avoid spoilers for Radiance. I would, if you haven't read the book, I would recommend doing that because it's very good. So just go buy it and read it. And if you are interested in more Gernsback Continuum stuff, that's actually going to come up much more in our, our final topic discussion. So definitely come back for that. I think we, we found that it's it's a really cool thing in the, the broader context. But we decided there was only so much we could we could do with just that. And we really wanted to get deep into Radiance for this one. So yeah, if you're interested for more of that, definitely come back for our, our theme episode at the at the end of the sequence. All right. So with all that said, uh, we'll we'll dive in. So James, the the last thing that you said about Radiance was was something that I almost said and decided to more or less hold for now, which mm-hmm. was the the film that Percy is making about uh, about Severin's death or disappearance mm-hmm. um, is. On top of being one of my favorite, like one of my favorite parts about that part of it is the fact that the film goes through these rewrites. So like the first scene you get is between Percy and, and Vince 
and they're talking about um like making the movie and they're trying to figure out what they want to make and they settle on noir and then the next chapter is the like first chunk of the movie and it's noir and it's really good. Like I want to see that movie. (laughs) I want to read that whole book. Like I, I really loved what they were doing with that. Yeah. And then it cuts away from that and you get some other stuff and some of Severin stuff, whatever. And then you, it cuts back in with another conversation between uh, Vince and Percy and they're talking and then it's like, no, 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 noir isn't right. It's too dark. It's not, it doesn't fit the tone that we want. Like maybe more of a fairy tale kind of story Mm. and so then like the next chapter is (laughs) the chapter title is the original movie title crossed out yeah and then the next like the new title yeah you know added in yeah and then they do it again yeah right and so there end up being like three total versions of this movie that you end up seeing and the third and final version i think it might even be more i mean it's like well i do think no i think you get to a you get to a fourth one and the fourth one is the really trippy like weird one, which is like a conversation between the yeah, entire cast everybody. of characters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, including like Calliope, the, the callow whale from the yeah. commercials. Cartoons. Or yeah, it's, it's like a cartoon like whale and like Roger Rabbit. Yeah, yeah. It was like, like dead people who and, have like their limbs all like messed up from yeah, how they die. Like the, the yeah. guy with like all the metals still in his mouth. And yeah. 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 Those are all of those are so cool. And I mean, to even take that even further, there's kind of the implication at the end of the book that there's a fifth cut of the film and that cut is the book that you just read is radiance when when vince shows up at uh oh i keep forgetting his name i we were talking about this before i keep wanting to say oh Atonis, and, but that's and a starcraft Kesis. character oh and uh, yeah and yeah when when vince shows up at and house on mars and has a film well, isn't just it, called Raz's house right erasmo and whoever he's I thought like it was Anchises that it might have been. I thought it's Anchises, and I get the impression that it's no, because Raz is dead at that point. Well, doesn't he say at the end like Raz and 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 whoever are going to be here in a few minutes for dinner? Oh, maybe. Um, I I think it is Anchises who Anchises is the one who she's talking to. to. Yeah, she shows in the film, but it's um because the the only reason I I harp or harped on that was because uh it's set the like the house that she shows up at is in the place of Mars where Raz says he wants. Uh, was it Oxblood films? Yeah. Oxbrood, whatever. Oxblood. Uh, Oxblood films to resettle him on Mars. It's like that mountain. Well, I think the implication is that uh, but Raz he's, like, died in raises Anchises. Yeah. yeah. Anchises is just as, living in his like childhood home. Yeah, as a father. I, the one thing is just because it says, in spring 1959, we have the posthumous publication of Erasmo St. John's book, The Sound of a Voice That Still Is. And I don't think that the film that Percy's film gets finished until after 61 because it has summer 61 major rewrite on Dr. Callow's dream retitled. And if she's not gone, she lives there still. And we know that. Yeah. And then that one is the one I think where we have the, where Vince talks about the funding gets cut. And so this is just the the last movie because we never get to see the rewrite we think. And then you realize that, the final rewrite is the entire book that you just read. Yeah. And that the whole film that gets made is these little bits and pieces. And it really is that really cool mix of a Percival and Severin Unk film. It's this mix of documentary and weird Gothic noir storytelling and stuff. Yeah. I, that for me was just such a cool moment where you go through and you're like, Oh no, that's why the movie scenes aren't scripts. That's why it's someone describing what's happening in the movie scene because it's just a description of a movie that's happening. Not You're not seeing the script. You're watching the movie. Yeah. Versus something else. I, I thought that was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I thought that was really neat. And it's the kind of thing where it makes me wonder whether or not I want to see this as a movie. Because on one hand, it already is. Yeah. And right. that's really cool. But on the other hand, I think it's important to have, to have that chapter where you watch and Kesis watch the movie and i don't think i want that you know i almost want like it to be this weird like multimedia thing where like it's a it's a film but then you also have that other stuff or it's a radio play about that so you never feel like you're actually watching the movie mm-hmm. it maybe if it felt like you were just like listening to the like the record that would go with it i don't know but I was thinking a lot about that after I finished it. It was just, would would I even want this as a movie 
And does that take away that weird, like, special moment at the end where you feel like you just watched a movie without having watched it? I don't know. This book is just such a unique experience. It <laughs> really is. In I'm, so many ways. Yeah. I mean, towards the end, I started really remembering Solaris. Mm. Just in some of the, like, trippiness of it. And this idea of, I don't know, just there's a lot of the emotional notes kind of were similar, sure. I felt. Because you're dealing with, you know, dead people and talking about dead people and trying to remember them and trying to get closure. Yeah. Um, I don't know. This book, I don't know. This book just seems, feels very meaningful in several ways. One being that it's just such a, like a different way to tell a story than what you usually see. Another being that I feel like it deals with a character who from the beginning, you know, is if, if not dead, then pretty much as good as dead, just gone. Yeah. And I felt like she did a really good job of getting all the, various emotions different people are feeling about that really clear and the feels kind of right and people's different like processes of grieving being unique to how each of them has been like outside of that i don't know like that, that was a weird way to put that but basically everyone has a very unique way of grieving specific to their personality and it felt very while it's like obviously a sci-fi novel and there's like some kind of magic realism going on and people speak in a very kind of flowery stylized way everyone yeah. seemed very real in their own kind of weird surreal way yeah yeah i think it's a great way to put it 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 is a very surreal realism yeah was there was there a particular point in the book where you guys started like when the the like metaphysicalness of it right and the like interdimensionality like was there a point where that started to sort of click for you i started i feel like i started suspecting it i don't i don't, I don't know if i can name an exact point but every time maybe it was with the interview with erasmo um and kithia right wait, Kith, something like that yeah kith, or, kith is her nickname um like because it becomes almost horror at some points, horror-ish. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially that interview. Because yeah. you're talking about this, you know, uh, Severin was there and then suddenly she wasn't. She just disappeared. And on all this, like, you steadily get more and more revealed to you about this kind of horrific series of events that happened. People mm -hmm. losing their minds, people dying, people being maimed, people just, like, going crazy. And it is very, I mean, we read Mountains of Mad at the Mountains of Madness not yeah. that long ago. And I definitely was remembering that a lot here, just having to do with people having a kind of cosmic secret or coming into contact with this big cosmic force that they were not prepared for, that they thought they understood, but they clearly didn't. They, you know, kind of abused this thing they didn't understand, and the price they had to pay was their sanity. Yeah. And in some cases, their lives. Usually sanity first, then their lives. Um and I don't know, God, it just this. I feel like this book has like a lot of influences all mashed into it. Oh, the one thing I noticed for sure: Have either of you seen the Cat's Meow that movie with like Eddie mm -hmm. Izzard? I think it's from the '90s. I want to say it's Kirsten Dunst. Mm -mm. And, okay, so it's been a little while. It's based on a true event, I think. Eddie Izzard plays, I want to say Charlie Chaplin, um, and they're all on a yacht. And a murder happened. There's like, you know, people, ex-lovers, current lovers. I feel, I hate that word, but this book really calls for, that's like what people call each other in this yeah. book and whatever. Um, and someone ends up shot. God, that's probably a spoiler for Cat's Meow. Whatever. You're, we're talking about a movie we're done, we're talking about, yeah. we're, we're past. And it's like, who, it's like a whodunit thing. Like, who, sure. why did this happen? A little bit of um, just kind of, you know, betrayals and trying to covering up and it's like all these famous people, rich famous people on a yacht um, trying to figure out what to do about the fact that someone just got killed on their fancy part and they don't, no one wants to deal with the consequences mm -hmm. that basically, I think there's a few chapters that are basically completely inspired by that. Yeah. By this. They're on like a yacht again, like basically a like, a yacht. like a space. yacht. <laughs> <laughs> or are they, on the, are they on the sea of tranquility or something? They're, they might be on like a moon ocean. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but the same thing happens. There's like, someone gets shot and they're like, who did that? And it's because someone thought someone was sleeping with their wife and you know, that kind of thing. It's basically the exact same thing as cats meow yeah. or that incident that I guess that it was inspired by that really happened. God, so it's just, yeah, it's a weird hodgepodge of inspirations that I think 
somehow really worked well together, even though naturally you wouldn't think like, let's combine that story. That's kind of like 1920s Hollywood story with Solaris and Lovecraft. Yeah. It really, it hit me kind of late, like honestly not long before uh, it was like basically flat out explained. Uh, But there's a part where... I think it's like Anchesis is talking to to Severin or maybe Erasmus. It, somebody says to somebody else that, uh, you know, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Mm. And it's somebody talking to Sev. And, and Sev is saying like, wait, where did you hear that? Where did you get that from? Like, what is Kansas? Yeah. Because right? it had been mentioned before. And that already, I was like, okay, well, Kansas is a, is like on earth and it's a state. And they've already mentioned America and the states. So like that's not a big deal, but then somebody says that and she has that reaction, and I'm like, that feels a lot like like Bioshock Infinite, right? Where like a universe is bleeding into another universe because they they did that in Infinite, where they would have things from like our literal universe like bleeding into like Cindy that Lauper. world, yes, yeah. right? And so it was like that was what made it sort of click for me that they were going this like very metaphysical angle with the whole thing, yeah. Yeah, honestly, I never really even felt like I had a good understanding of that. Um, like, even at the points where they kind of explain it. Um, and I was always kind of okay with that. That it was, like, I wasn't sure if it was the kind of thing where it was getting to the point where it was like, well, it it almost doesn't matter. You know, and that the point is yeah. that it's very hard to understand. But at the same time, yeah, I, it's never really something that I totally put together. Even, again, after the, like, after her song in the the last cut of the movie where it hits the point where she describes herself as like a nexus between worlds yeah, and like yeah. the song which is a great sequence right but that whole that whole thing from that last cut of the film is cool but yeah i it was even that was something that i never really was able to put all the way together but i think it's just because i was enjoying so much watching all the characters try and deal with it themselves mm-hmm. and focusing on that like this is how raz mourns this is how and Kisa's mourns. This is how Percival mourns. And that everyone has kind of a different ability to just admit that Severin is not there anymore. Can we talk about the really... There's one thing... Okay, and... God, this is, I don't even know how to broach this. Um, there's some kind of... There are some parts that made me feel... And I, I like them. I'm like, they're in there because I like that she does... She kind of she writes some stuff that's a little uncomfortable, um, such as the parts of the story that are about Ankisa, especially like the noirish parts, which are really, really like sexy between him and Severin. Yeah, mm. but it's it's her father writing the story about her and yeah. Ankisa, so it's basically like her father writing sex scenes about her and her adopted son and her basically. adopted son. Yeah, so it's like this weird. that that was a little weird for me i can see that i think the reason that the the idea of what was going on between anchesis and like the way he apparently thought of of rin right is like it didn't end up being that weird for me because like their relationship doesn't ever become parental it doesn't it doesn't last long enough for it to really become that yeah i didn't have a problem with that with them i thought that was actually kind of like I like the hint of a taboo relationship there, like it's a little bit taboo because like that his first impression of her was like a older maternal savior. Right. It's the idea that her father, who did raise her, is writing these like sexy scenes about her. Right, and that's the part that just never really clicked for me because I was experiencing so much of the story as like, especially like those parts in the interviews with Raz were like about sort of unraveling the mystery that I was so swept up in that that the like framing of it being this thing that was co-written by like two of her primary parental figures like didn't really click for me yeah i was kind of always like midway in between for that where i'd get there and i'd be like oh yeah this is that's weird that like it's like her dad imagining like putting her in that situation but at the same time with the bits and pieces of like his films that you've gotten it the part where it almost were kind of worked out for me, not worked out, but like the way that it fell together in my head is you kind of get this impression that Percival maybe only on, 
only occasionally thought of Severin as a person. And so often he thinks of, it seems like most people in his life as characters in his films. Um, and I think that that's part of what's cool about this is that her, her real world disappearance and death makes him realize that he can't just like write that away and have her back again. Yeah. And when he tries to bring her back, he sees that it's, it's not, it's not working. You know, he can't just write her back into existence. So that was always the thing where it, in my head, it came across as just like further example that it would be really weird for someone who thinks of his daughter as like his human daughter, but it's less weird for someone who thinks of his daughter as like a character who he can write to be whatever way he needs to make it like work with the characters or make the point that he's trying to make. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was the way that that kind of shook through. Cause I, I think Cleo, at least for me, was like very much on the same wavelength that I was, where I was like, God, this is really weird that this is like a dad writing this kind of a scene for not even like a character who's kind of like his daughter, but literally the character Severin Unk yeah. who yeah. disappeared in the literal way that she disappeared mm -hmm. and all the things with that. But yeah, for me, it came down to more of a, that, that same sense, like when she mentions that like he was her father and that of all of her mothers, that the one who was most consistent was Clara, his camera. Um, and his line about, um, you know, she came into this world. as like a character in one of my films, like, so damn it, that's how she can go out and all the things like that. And, that was where it hit for me that he's really having a hard time balancing the fact that she's a real human being with the fact that he very much thinks of at least most of his life as a movie. Yeah. One of my favorite kind of bits was, I can't, I can't remember where, who was saying it, but how Percy, he'll like go through an event once and then shoot it again a second time to perfect once it's perfected. Because mm -hmm. um, it needs to like it needs to be on film, but it's going to happen once, almost as a rehearsal, and then they're going to film, and that's going to be like the real thing. Right, and like Whereas, Mary Pelham recalls, like, she talks about remembering Christmases when they're together, and it's like, I don't remember Christmas the way it like actually happened. Yeah. I remember the way that he shot it and then would show it to us again later, and those are the memories that I now have in my head. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't know that I can fault somebody for wanting to create something that they see as perfect and and remember it in that way instead, because it does create these like positive and long lasting memories or whatever. And the interesting the other interesting thing is that Severin yeah. is the other way she wants to she, before she'll even do something like when they're on Venus and they're in Adonis, which is a town that like you've disappeared and she sees 10 year old and Kesis there like walking around in circles before she even approaches him she's like turn on the cameras get everything ready before you know she steps in because she wants to get in the first shot she wants the genuine first reaction right. but she won't take action unless the cameras are rolling yeah she's like as obsessed with reality as Percy is with fiction yeah yeah and it's fascinating but at the same time uh that in her, a lot of her movies and a lot of the sequences before that you get the impression that she'll do it in one take, but she'll write a script beforehand. You know, they talk about like how usually the script is like just out of frame. Right. And you've got that moment where they're shooting uh, like Famine Queen of Phobos. And that, and I like that one a lot as well, where Raz even talks about that as like something where they just happened to be in the right place, right time. Mm -hmm. um, but that it had started off as like some dumb like vacations around the solar system movie so they could pay for the one that Severin really wanted to make. And it ended up being like kind of her first, like accidental, like really, really objective documentary as opposed to being a movie, like an autobiographical thing. Right. And where they have that sequence where she, she had this vague sense of what she wanted to do. And it's like the first time she's on camera without a script, just out of shot. And she like stumbles over it and she's trying to make this point, And then she just gets trampled by the crowd. You know, and that the whole thing ends with her just saying, you know, it's like, you know, oh, fuck, Raz, I, I think I'm really hurt. And just chapter ends right there. Yeah. And yeah, like what a cool thing that was. And like you were saying, Cleo, where it's she's she wants she has that obsession with reality and she wants that. But that normally she'll script it. And then she's thrown into this moment where she doesn't get a chance to. And how you get the impression that that really like shaped that trip to Venus. You know, and that wanting just like throw herself into these dangerous situations and that kind of weird sense that she'd be okay afterwards. And then, you know, until one day she's not. But yeah, that throwing herself in, just wanting to 
in the same way that Percy was willing to like really send people through the gamut over and over and over again, the way that Severin will throw herself into those things to get that shot. So I think there's like a whole lot to unpack here, but we should also probably wrap up. Yeah. And we'll come back and revisit a lot of these topics um, in our kind of summary of the theme episode. Yeah. Yeah, which I'm I'm really excited to do, um, both because we, as we've kind of been talking about the way that these things are tied together is a bit different from what we've done before. So I think that'll be really exciting. But just because as we've talked about this and like doing that and like thinking a bit more about the way this stuff plays together, I'm really excited to get back into Radiance in the context of the other things. Yeah, I'm particularly excited to talk about Radiance um, connected to Fallout 4. I know that might seem a little bit weird right now, but... All will be explained later. <laughs> Keep I'm you in suspense. As curious as all of you who are listening, so that'll be fun. Yeah, this was this was a real winner. We definitely kind of just like stumbled onto it after we we figured that we probably didn't want to commit a whole hour to a thirteen story, a thirteen page short story. Yeah, I'm I'm glad we did. I don't think I would have read this otherwise. Not because it doesn't sound good, it's just because it's I had never heard of this just until so you brought far it up. Off my radar, yeah. Yeah. I it had just not really been on my list at all. But Yeah, she's a pretty she has a lot of other work out there. I definitely recommend Deathless. If you are a Labyrinth fan, it's very similar to Labyrinth in a lot of ways. <laughs> a lot of characters are like exactly the same. I love Labyrinth. Yeah, oh my god. Just wait until one day I'm gonna force us all to watch <laughs> Labyrinth, read Deathless, and then we'll we'll find a game that fits in with it too. Perfect. Yeah. But yeah, this was really cool. This is, I think this might genuinely be one of my favorite things that we've read so far. Yeah, same. It's definitely a very unique experience. And it's one of those books you're going to think about a lot afterwards for a while. I think so, yeah. Yeah. It almost makes me wish that we could do it like again in a future topic. If we just did like things about movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we did like this in like Memento or Hugo. Sure. Um, there's a lot of games about movies, but... I, we, not a we could we'd find one yeah yeah um but something like that though it just all the things that it kind of has to that it feels like it has to say about that but it also never feels like it's trying to like make a point at you it's just these are people and this is how they think and these are like what movies are to some people but yeah i don't know if you haven't read it, if you listen to all these spoilers, I still, we haven't gotten everything about it across, yeah, we, so I would still say read it. so much of what makes this book great. There's so like, much to unpack. It's impossible to do it in one episode. Yeah, it's just not. Did I say Memento earlier when I was talking about movies about movies? I meant Inception. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking, I haven't seen Mementos. I was like, I didn't know that about that that's, movie. That's not what Memento's <laughs> about. I meant Inception. Okay, good. All right. Uh, yeah, so that was, that was our first episode for our raygun gothic series on gernspec continuum and radiance uh thank you so much for listening okay we're gonna cut this out for a bit uh cleo you can decide how we want to edit it but what i'm gonna do is i'm just gonna say inception (laughs) and you can either do a really obvious edit of that over memento or you can keep the bit where i said did i say memento i meant inception oh yeah no we need to keep we need to keep doing really randomly somewhere in the middle of the episode